I love it. And seeing my grandchildren baptized is always an ex- just touches my heart too. So God's good. I want to say to anyone out there, if you're um, hot, over hot, if you're overheated, if you um, would like, you're welcome to go into the building. We'd ask that you kind of walk around so you don't walk in front of the cameras and all. Um, but you're welcome to go inside uh, and watch it uh, online. You're welcome to do that. I mean, it's, it's on the screen inside. Um, but uh, anyhow, you're welcome to do that. Anybody wants to, feel free to do that. Okay? Um, today and next Sunday, I'm teaching on the qualities of great faith. There are two people... Two encounters that Jesus had with two people in the, in the New Testament where he said that a person had great faith. Only two. Oftentimes, when he was talking about his disciples' faith, he would say, oh, you have little faith. He would say to his disciples oftentimes, or he would, he would tell them, why do, you, why do you have so much fear? And there's, there's a, 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 oftentimes his disciples would lack faith. There would, be, there would be something missing in their faith. And I actually believe that one of the reasons why the encounter we're going to read about this morning, the, the reason why he, he took the, the road that he did, the, the, uh, the conversations that were happening, was not just about the woman who had come to him, but it was about the disciples learning about the qualities of what it means and what it takes to have great faith. Because they're kind of involved in the story. It's in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21 through 28 is where we're going to be if you want to open your Bibles there. The Bible says that Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now it tells us that, that this happened for a reason. The reason it tells us they went to Tyre and Sidon is because Tyre and Sidon is outside the borders of the Jewish community at that time. So when you went to Tyre and Sidon, you were leaving Israel and you were going into Gentile uh, land. And there's a reason why they were doing that. Try to imagine yourself, if you were one of the disciples with Jesus, that every morning... You, you, know, you wake up and there's a line of people waiting for Jesus, right? It would go all day and through the night. I mean, it was Costco line on steroids, right? Just people lined up to meet and talk with Jesus and have Jesus minister to them and heal them. They just were, it was a constant thing, seven days a week. It was just constant. Jesus would oftentimes travel to get away a little bit from the crowd and a little bit from... Uh, you know, the, with the disciples. But as long as they were in Israel, you know, they, people would follow them. They'd go across the lake and they'd, the people would be on, on the other side of the lake before they got to the other side of the lake. So going into this region, maybe the hope was nobody would know us, right? We could get a, a little vacation. I think the, the disciples might have envisioned a hammock and some lemonade and, you know, really kind of having a relaxing vacation time. And, of course, that's not what happened. And so 
the Bible says that when they get there, verse 23, it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of ruin the story by telling you what happens at the end, right? At the end of the story, you already know this, but she, Jesus commends her faith, and she's one of the two people in the Bible that Jesus said had great faith, and she gets a miracle. That's where we're headed in this story. This is a woman who comes to Jesus, and she has great faith. And I want you to notice some things about this. We don't know, actually, the background. We don't know how she got this information that she gets. But what we see here, it says that she comes to Jesus and she cries out, have mercy on me. Obviously, she's hoping and anticipating or believing that Jesus somehow would have mercy on her and her daughter. Um, it, it says he, she calls him Lord, son of David, which would be an unusual, um, uh, you know, designation that that she would use as a gentile most gentiles wouldn't know who the son of david is so she's obviously what we would call um she is a a seeker um our god fearer is oftentimes how it's referred to um so she's a gentile who's probably got some information obviously to call him the son of david jews would know what that meant because the son of david the messiah would come from the line of David. So a, a Jewish person would know this. This Gentile actually understands that he is the Messiah, the son of David. And she calls him Lord. When you think of all the religious leaders in Israel at that time, oftentimes when Jesus, they would, might refer to him as rabbi, but never Lord. Well, she is calling him Lord. He's the master. She understands that for some so for some reason, she has that understanding. And so the, 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 the process, as she comes pleading, as anyone would, for her daughter. And all of us know that, you know, when our kids are going through difficult times or if they're running from God, and the enemy, if the enemy has, in fact, deceived them and, 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 is, and is pulling on them, our hearts break for them. We want them to respond to God. And oftentimes when a child gets to a certain age, you, you, you know, you don't have any control over it. They're making their decisions at that point. And as they're making those decisions, you're praying that you've invested enough in them that they'll make the right decisions. But it is their choice. And so you're praying for them. And this mother is praying for their daughter. And, and uh, you know, the, the sickness that probably is here that's going on is she identifies as demon possession so she has a discernment we don't know how she knows that but she knows that her daughter has been demonized maybe there's a manifestations that has happened that she sees but she knows this there's nothing she can do on her own power about this she does not have the ability to do anything so she she sees that Jesus is there, and she runs to Jesus. And then Jesus does something that is bewildering. The scripture says in verse 23, but he answered her not a word. He didn't say a word to her. 
He, he ignored her plea. At least it appears that way. And so this, this great woman of faith, what does she do? Well, it's the same thing. We face oftentimes, people face the same kind of challenge. Let me, let me put it in our common day life, every one of us. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you've had a season at least uh, uh, in your life when you were calling upon God and God was silent. Anybody have that happen to you? Anybody have, you, you were praying and you were asking for God and you wanted God to speak to you and tell you and, and do something and God was absolutely silent. And you wonder where he is and what do you do? Because that is a challenge that, that men and women of God throughout history have had. We see it in the scriptures and uh, we, we, we see that this, this desire to hear from God and God doesn't seem to respond to us. Uh, the, we've all had our Emmaus Road experience. You know, the disciples are brokenhearted. Jesus is dead and, and their dreams and everything is shattered and they're on the road and all of a sudden they're talking and the stranger comes up and they're talking and they're, they're, they're you know, but they don't know while they're talking it's Jesus who's behind them. Jesus was there. They just didn't know it. God sometimes is very quiet, but he's still there. But, but the woman of great faith, what does she do? Well, she does something that people with lesser faith don't do. See, people with lesser faith, and they call out to God, and God's not answering her. If they would have been in this situation where they'd come to Jesus and they cry out to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even say anything, they would immediately get up and go, well, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And they would walk away. They would be discouraged or angry or frustrated because God didn't respond. God didn't say anything. You see, people of lesser faith in these situations will often then, you know, uh, interpret the silence of God as the, as the, as that God is ignoring them. And that's not what's going on. It's not God ignoring them. It, God does not, listen, the God who loved you on the cross doesn't love you any less as you're calling upon him and he, you're not getting an answer. He loves you the same. So how do we know what she did? Here it is. The response is, goes on, it says, he, it says, he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. So Jesus doesn't respond. The disciples are saying, get rid of her. You know, she's ruining our vacation. Get her out of here. And, 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 the, and, and, and they say, send her away, for she cries out after us. She just, this is what she does. Jesus doesn't answer and she gets louder. Are you catching it? See, people of great faith, when God doesn't answer, they get louder. When God doesn't answer, they don't leave. When God doesn't answer, they continue to pursue. See, people of lesser faith just kind of go, well, God isn't answering. It's all over. He doesn't want to hear me from me. 
And, and they interpret the, God's silence as God's absence. And it isn't the same. God's silence sometimes is actually God's allowance so that we will pursue him further. The silence of God sometimes is out of his love and that he still loves you and he still wants to bless you in your life. You know, the, the psalmist said in Psalms 81, oh, oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, oh God. The psalmist as well as people throughout history have experienced the silence of God in their life. And, and, but what do they do? Well, people of faith pursue him harder. They, they cry out to God and, and they pursue God. Zephaniah 3.17 is interesting how God, how, how uh, it's given. It says, the Lord your God in your midst, a victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy. And listen to this phrase. He will be quiet in his love. We hear that? He'll be quiet in his love. Sometimes the love of God is in a stillness. It's in a quietness. He might not be speaking to you. But his love for you has not diminished because he's quiet. Don't assume that anything other than that God is waiting, God has a plan, God is doing something. He is absolutely working. He is absolutely doing something. I believe in this story, not only is it bringing out the strength of her faith, but I believe in this story, it's bringing out a teaching to the disciples. Jesus has a plan. He knows the end. He knows what's going on. It said, verse 24 says, but he answered and said, now I believe he's saying this to the disciples, but she's hearing it. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's, now when Jesus was saying that, he was not saying that he would not do anything. He didn't care about other people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Obviously, he would die for the sins of the world. But he came for the purpose when he came to, the reason he came to Israel, to Jerusalem, because he was the Messiah. He was a Jewish Messiah. But not only the Jewish Messiah, not, one of the things the Jewish Messiah was to do was to call his people into full, full service and into the new covenant and that they were supposed to follow after God and they were supposed to be the ones to disseminate first the good news around the world. That was going to be their job. That's their call. So Jesus had come to them, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so as he came, they were to be the response. And you would know, you know later on that on the day of Pentecost, I mean the uh, uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus cries over Jerusalem and says, I would have gathered you. And he says, but you missed the day of your visitation. And, and he went to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles spent, spread the word around the world. One of the reasons why he would go to the Jews first, because they already knew who God was. They had all the truth of the God. So you go to a, a Jew and that had that understanding of God, and when they get they get, you know, when they understand he's the Messiah, immediately they're already disciples. They're ready to go. See, you had Peter and all the disciples. It didn't take much for them to learn what they needed to learn and communicate the gospel and, and disciple others. You took a Gentile who knew, who had many gods and didn't even know God. You had to teach them the basic training. It's kind of like even today. 
You know, a, a, a child grows up in church and they have heard all the stories. They might not even be saved yet, but they, they come to, at a point, they come to the realization that who Jesus is and their own sinfulness and their need for a Savior. And they, they invite Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. And all of a sudden, even though they've been raised in the church, they're born again. Well, they have all that before them, you know, and, and, and they're already further along because of that. Then someone doesn't grow up in church like myself. When I came to Christ, I didn't know the Bible stories. I didn't know anything about the scriptures. I had to learn that. There was a longer process. I was committed to it. I mean, I fell in love with God's word, but the process took a little bit longer. So when the disciples, in fact, did go out into other communities, into the Gentile world, they went to find a synagogue first, and they would preach in a synagogue, get the Jews saved and get them out. But that's what Jesus came for. And Jesus is not saying that he doesn't care about the Gentiles. Obviously, he came to die for the world. But she's overhearing this. And, and she's, what, what is she thinking? He says, I haven't come for, I, you know, I've come for the, lost, for, for the lost sheep of Israel. I haven't come for you. That's basically what she's hearing. I haven't come for you. I came for them. Now, if you're, if you're a believer, if you've invited Christ into your life, you are already the them. Right? You are the part, you're the called, you're the, the people of God, you're the people that God has, you know, who has, uh, you have the favor of God upon you already. So it's hard to relate in that way, but here's a way we can relate. Have you ever kind of looked around, you've been praying for a miracle, and it seemed like everybody else is getting a miracle but you? You know, you've been looking for a job for months, and, you know, your friend got a job in a week, and you know that you're, you're you're walking through, you know, uh, the process and you're seeing others being blessed and you don't seem like it's happening to you. And, and what is that? Why, what is going on? Why, wh when it seems like everyone else is getting a miracle. And that's the point. When everybody, when God is silent, people of great faith respond by pr pressing in and not leaving. When it seems like everyone else is getting a miracle, I want you to listen to her response. And then she came and worshiped him. That's what she did, saying, Lord, help me. So when it seems like everybody else is getting the miracle, she, she doesn't then just whine and complain about her, saying it isn't fair, or leave and go, well, he doesn't care about me. What does she do? She falls and worships him. If, if you're not here for me, I'm here for you, Jesus. Are you with me? If, if you're not here with, for me, I'm here for you. And so she, cried, she falls on her knees and she, she worships. And I say falls on her knees because the expression of worship, the majority of the time in the Old Testament, the expression of worship was falling down on one's knees or, or on their face before God. You read all the times in the Bible in the Old Testament. That, that does not mean that to worship you have to be in that physical, uh, you know, position to worship. I'm just saying that oftentimes whenever you see people worshiping, it uses the word worship and not praise. Worship usually is on one's knees 
and, and bowing before. This, as the psalm says in Psalms 95, 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's a, it's the, that there is a humbling before God in worship. And she's humbling herself and she's worshiping God. I want to just simply ask, when you feel like everybody else is getting a miracle and you're not, what do you do? Well, people of great faith, they fall in worship. They come to God and they just worship Him. Because whether I get a miracle or I don't get a miracle, I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to worship you, Jesus. I'm going to honor you. No matter what happens, I am not leaving. I am not giving in to my fears and doubts and frustrations. I will turn to you and love you and worship you. That's what people of great faith do. And this woman of great faith immediately falls down and she worships. And then verse 26, it says this. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you've probably heard, if you've heard anybody preach on this, they'll always try to tell you that there's, there's two words for dogs here that could be used. One was the kind of dog that everybody hated. And that, they, in, in, the, in that part of the world, and even today in many uh, parts of, uh, of third world countries, there'll be packs of dogs. And these, these packs are dangerous. They'll attack people even. And, uh, and they're hated. They're just hated. People hate those dogs. They, they want to get rid of them whenever they can. But Jesus doesn't use that word. The word he uses is more of a word for a pet or a puppy. Okay? So it's a pet or a puppy. And so when someone's teaching about this, it says, see, Jesus is just calling her like a little dog or a little pet. Is it really that much better? Really? I mean, is, is that okay? You're just a Fido. Just really, just love you, little doggy. you know? But you still have to eat out of your dog food. You can't have what's on the table. You don't get the children's food. See, it really is still kind of like, well, wouldn't that be discouraging? Wouldn't you feel, if Jesus said that, wouldn't you feel unworthy? Wouldn't that be, I'm unworthy? So what do you do when you feel unworthy? You see, oftentimes, especially when, when, when you've been praying and you're in, in, in God's silence or you've been praying and you and God isn't responding and it doesn't seem like you're getting the miracle or it seems like everybody else is but you're not when you're going through that oftentimes you will take and you'll do a, a, an assessment of yourself and the first thing you'll do oftentimes if you're not operating as a person of great faith you're going to that assessment is I'm not worthy and you'll look at your failures and all of the things that you come short in and you'll go I'm not worthy, and that's why it's happening. I'm not going to get this because I'm unworthy. And you'll, go, you'll put your head down, and you'll walk away from, what, from Jesus because you just are not worthy. But what the, the problem is, 
that, that operating, even thinking through that kind of process will always weaken your faith and it'll always keep you from the miracle that Jesus might want to give you. Because you're operating on a, on a, at, at a, uh, a false assumption, a faulty idea. In fact, a dangerous one if carried out to its, its fullest in every area of your life. And the danger is this, that somehow God only responds to me based upon how worthy I am. So if he responds to me in my prayer, then I must be worthy. I'm a great person. And if he doesn't respond to me exactly how I've hoped for him or I wanted him to on my prayer, then it must be because I'm not. And, and the, the assumption is that God responds to our worthiness. But the scripture actually tells us we're not worthy. He's worthy. That, that we come and we approach Jesus not based upon whether we're worthy or not. We approach Jesus based upon whether he's worthy or not. Because you're not. You're, not. you're only worthy in him. And so even, even evaluating based upon that, I want you to listen to her response. And, it's, and I, I loved her response. She said, it, she said, yes. That's the response. And there's more here. But notice she says, yes. So Jesus said, it's not right that the children's bread should go to the dogs. And her answer isn't, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm not really a dog. I'm not even really a puppy. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. You, you, I've done a lot of good things in my life. You, will, will, you, will you heal my daughter? Because I'm a pretty good person. She doesn't respond that way. She also doesn't respond, okay, I understand. I'm not worthy, so I'm, you know, I'm not going to. She doesn't respond on that level at all. And you can't either. Because when you start responding on that level, you're relying on your goodness instead of Christ in any, in any way. And we'll get that. We'll, we'll need a miracle from God and we'll say, God, but I've, I've been trying. I've been doing a good thing. Or I, I you know, I, I believe you. Or I, you know, I put a, a Jesus bumper sticker on my car, whatever you might be, right? And you, you operate out of this, I'm, uh, I'm a good person thing instead of out of real faith because faith is trusting what God has done that makes you worthy. And so it's under because of his worthiness that we approach him. So her response when he says, you know what? Basically, you're not worthy. Her response is yes. Yeah, she's not arguing that. She, she's agreeing because this woman of great faith is really trusting in the, in the compassion, in the love, in what she knows or has heard about Jesus. And listen what she says then. Lord, yet, yet, even though we're not worthy, yet even the little dogs eat from the, the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So she, she immediately goes to this point and she says, Lord, um, I'm not even asking to eat off the table. I'll just take the crumbs. 
I'll take the crumbs. I'll take whatever I can get. But I'm not leaving. Do you kind of get that? I'm not leaving is what she's... She's not going anywhere. Because she's a woman of great faith. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you, to you as you, des you desire. And the daughter was healed from that very hour. There's a, a kind of a Yiddish word that, that's used, uh, the English translation of it is uh, hutzpah, hitzpah. Hutzpah, you've heard of it. You know, they've got hutzpah. Well, what is that? It's kind of a, it's kind of a not give up. It's kind of a got, got courage. There's a good side to it and a bad side in, in it, you know, where somebody like, they, they'll cross the line. They'll say, you know, they don't care, but they're going to do it anyhow. It's that kind of thing. God loves people who have spiritual huspa. He seems to he seems to love that quality in people. The, this woman has that. She's not going anywhere. She, you know, he ignores her. She's still right there. Lord, help me. He he says, you know, um, I'm not here for for you. You're you're a Gentile. I'm here for the Jews. She doesn't, she doesn't go away. You know, it's not right to, to, to give the children's bread to, to the dogs. Lord, I'm, I'm a dog, but I'll take the crumbs. She's not going away. Jesus loves that quality. He loves that quality. You know, there's this wi widowed woman who comes, and she's trying to get things, get, get get what is rightfully hers. She goes before the judge and asks, and the judge says no. So the next day she gets in line again, and she comes back, and she stands before the unjust judge and says, you know, I, I want justice, I want justice. No. She gets back in line. She has husband. She will not give up. She's tenacious. And Jesus says about her, that's the way you're supposed to pray. Jesus says she's got it right. She's tough. She's got character. She's not going to quit. And that's what people of great faith have. And if you have little faith, well, when it gets quiet and you've been kind of pressing and you're not getting an answer, you'll quit. If you have little faith and you feel... Like maybe it's because, well, it's because I'm unworthy. You'll trust in your own worthiness. If you have little faith, you're not going to be the person who presses in. You know, you're not going to try to find, you know, what you can get. You're going to be the person who walks away in discouragement and gives up easy. And Jesus would like our faith to grow. Because I can tell you, every one of us, every one of us, have or will go through a time when it seems like God is not answering. Where it seems like God maybe hasn't said no, but he certainly hasn't said yes yet. 
and we, we, when you go through that time, are you going to be a person of great faith? Are you going to be a person who takes and just turns around, puts your head down, and walks away, and makes the wrong assumption? Because the right assumption is God really cares and loves. He loves this woman. He cares about her. He's proud of her. But in the conversation, you would not have known that until the end. And as you stand strong in, in, in Christ, and as you be a person who doesn't give up and keep pressing in, understand this. God is not gone. He's not left you. He made a promise to you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's there. He'll help you. You might be going through a season where he's quiet because in that quietness, it causes you to draw closer. If you have faith, you'll draw closer. If you don't have faith, you'll pull away. But it's an opportunity to see where your faith lies. The Bible calls it the trying of your faith because it's an exposure of your faith level. And it's good to see. Because if you're like me, oftentimes I think I have more faith than I do, and then I go through a trial, and then I realize, okay, my faith, I thought my faith was here. My faith is actually here. You know? I thought I could walk through something like this with just walking in full peace, not worrying, not having any anxiety, just tr totally trusting God. But I see I'm a little bit more here. But we need to, we need to want what God wants for us and what God wants for us. He would like to say, I believe, about each of us. Here's a son, here's a daughter with great faith, great faith. Heavenly Father, I thank you because... Lord, you're so patient with us. And when we fail you, when we turn, when we do all the things, and, and you, kind of like the disciples, would say to us, oh, you of little faith, that, Lord, you're patient to walk us through. And I pray that, Lord, in our pursuits, that, Lord, we will, uh, we will pursue those things that cause our faith to grow. We'll pursue your word, your word, the Bible, causes our faith to grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And prayer causes our faith to grow. Lord, praying in, in our heavenly language causes our faith to grow. Uh, praying, Lord God, and praying with others, those and, and rubbing shoulders and hanging out with other people of faith, people who have great faith, causes our faith to grow. God, help us to pursue great faith. Lord, I pray. And Lord, out there, whoever's listening, if you have never taken that step of faith to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, well, you need to. You need to. There, you need Jesus. He's the only answer. And your life, your future, your eternity depends on who Jesus is to you and in your life. And the Bible says you must be born again. And if you'll acknowledge your, that you have fallen short of God's glory, his perfection, who cannot agree with that? We've all fallen short. And that we need his forgiveness and that Jesus Christ has paid the price so that you could be forgiven when he died on the cross for your sins and he was buried and he rose again. 
And if you'll do that, if you accept Jesus, you can accept him right now and simply say this. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. And I invite you to be my Savior. I also believe you rose from the dead. You conquered death for me. And so today, Lord, I choose to follow you. And I follow you with all of my heart right now. I surrender my heart to you. And I ask you to help me to follow you in Jesus' name. Listen, if you did that, let us know. Go to ccanaheim.com, our website, and just right there, um, tell us. Let us know that you received Christ. We'll send you some information, get you started in your walk with God. God has great plans for you and for the rest of your life if you'll pursue him with all of your heart. Let's worship the Lord. Oh, oh, oh. 
God bless you, church. We want to go ahead and dismiss it this time. We'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you all. Sing high.